everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hey Hey Agave, brought to you by Tuyo NYC. Today on the podcast, we have Justin Lane Briggs, who is the spirits specialist and educator at Skernick Wines. We talked a lot about how industry and community are not mutually exclusive and how having a robust and diverse portfolio such as Skernick has um, allows a space to be created to bring on smaller, lesser known brands. Of those brands that Skernick carries, Justin talked to us about two of them, uh, Mezcal Tospa and La Medida Mezcal. He also brought by a really cool expression that um, involved hongos or, or fungus. And we did discuss briefly the current trend of resting mezcal in glass. Also, I wanted to let everyone know that we post images that relate to the conversation on our website, tuyo.nyc, in the stories section. These images are awesome, and they're they're generously given to us from our guests, um, mostly of their travels in Mexico and uh, the regions where they know the producers and they go there. So um, there's a lot of really cool images uh, to check out. So please do. Also, we welcome your comments and corrections as always. Um, I do post the corrections um, on the website. And lastly, I wanted to ask a favor of you guys, if you wouldn't mind um, writing a little review or giving us like five stars or something, uh, it helps to give us more exposure. And you know, this podcast world we live in is really awesome and amazing because people like us can start a podcast and, and share you know information and great conversations, but it's also very crowded. So if you could shine a little light on us, we would really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. And here is our conversation with Justin Lane Briggs. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Hey, Hey, Agave. Today, we have Justin Lane Briggs with us. Hi, Justin. Hi. Gabrielle's here. Hey, Gabs. Hey. Everybody doing good? Doing good. So, Justin, we have met a few times before this. Yep. um, But we haven't really had a chance to talk at great length yet. Yeah, I haven't had a a good chance to hang. I know. So this is kind of cool. I know that we've we've run uh, across each other at different events. um, But the one that I specifically remember very, very fondly was the benefit that you had for Raices, Texas, at... um, Thompson Brook. Yes. And man, you brought some of the best expressions. That it was, was such a treat. That was super fun. It was amazing. Um, that was a really, that was a really joyful experience for me. Uh, I think, uh, maybe, yeah, one of my favorite things to do, uh, in general, but especially, uh, especially in, you know, in the world of mezcal is the opportunity to share things that you really love. The opportunity to, I mean, you know, mezcal, part of mezcal to me is all about sharing for sure. And the opportunity to kind of you know take things that you've fallen in love with and uh, pass them around and watch other people's expressions as they experience that same kind of sensual oh yeah moment is is really 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 wonderful and it's that really night joy. particularly I'm sure you saw a lot of people's eyes being like whoa what yeah. is this because like yeah. you know we would just go up and you'd be like oh try this and we'd look at the bottle and we'd be like dude this is incredible <laughs> <laughs> the best part of the night was going to wherever you were in the bar extending your arm and saying what's next and not not questioning whatever it was going to be inside that that copita it was pretty awesome so this was a benefit for uh both both rice texas and also for the border angels um where i i I pulled out uh sort of like i did tonight actually also but i pulled out an awful lot of bottles that i had uh, brought back from 
Oaxaca and uh, from other tra travels and things that just generally weren't uh, generally aren't uh, you know uh, available here, or else things that had been available but are no longer available. You know, I mean, kind of uh, older bottlings, things that have kind of gone the way of the the, the dodo, so to speak. Um, and really, just what you know, was sharing them all uh, with people to to both to both to, for the opportunity to share them and also the opportunity to 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 give to that community. Yeah, it was just, it was such a, there was so much joy in that room yeah. and, and we were all there for a really good cause and we all got to benefit from it ourselves. So yeah, yeah so thanks for that so much. My pleasure. Um, so, to, all right, so tell us a little bit of how you became involved in the beverage industry with agave distillates and mezcal specifically, if you want to. Sure. Give us kind of a little rundown. Uh, so I grew up in Vermont in the kind of among the organic farming community of Vermont and uh at a very early age, was kind of excited by, I guess, the kind of the, some of the, I guess, always the beverages that I saw around me in, in a lot of that world. You know, I was, I was like super into everything from apple cider to, I remember when the first Orange Julius opened up in our local mall <laughs> and I went home so and like awesome. tried That's to really deconstruct cool. how to make one, you know. <laughs> uh, Didn't we all do that? It was like, how do they get it fizzy and yeah, yeah. <laughs> And creamy at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as I got older, uh, I, moved to New York and was, you know, I was going to, to college, I went to school here and paying my way through school by bartending. And this was the early 2000s. And it kind of came down to a happenstance thing that I was in the right place at the right time. There was a lot of conversation happening around like cocktails and spirits. And I, having kind of an agricultural awareness as well, was able to kind of like connect the dots in ways that uh, maybe were, were interesting to me and that other people wanted to talk about as well or hear about. Sustainability or justice, things like that. Um, but also, like, uh, just kind of an, like even just an awareness of the fact that all of these beverages are still an agricultural product on some level, and trying to connect those dots rather than I think there's a tendency to see a distillate and just think of its, its, its effect on you, yeah. and not necessarily that it you know it comes from a grain still, it comes from an apple still, it comes from a grape still, it comes from an agave still. There's still you know this relationship to bearing in mind the land and the farmer and those sorts of questions that uh, weren't really foremost in people's minds I think until until a few years ago and and. Um, it was kind of picking up the slack after like the, the trail, the tail, the, the end uh, mm -hmm. after like microbrews and a movement towards more natural wines or more sustainable wines, etc. Um, spirits kind of like came in at the, at the final kind of run and I was lucky enough to be able to start talking about that. And then uh, just did it more and more and got really passionate about it and discovered this was a place where I had a voice. Yeah. And uh, about six years ago, uh, there's a wine and spirits import and distribution company called uh, Skernick Wines. And they tapped me after um, my former colleague, Adam Schumann, uh, stepped in to create a spirits portfolio for them. They tapped me second to come and uh, lend a hand. Oh. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Exciting. And within that framework, I've gotten kind of most excited about uh, about agave, for sure. It's really become... Um, I, was, I always had a passion for it, but uh, I never really knew or had as, as much like enough opportunity to really dig into it. Until I started working with this them, this afforded and, you the opportunity exactly, to like, yeah, to really sink my teeth in. And the the more you go down that rabbit hole, I mean, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Yeah, the more yeah. it's just like, it's it, it just it's it just endless. Keeps on, yeah, yeah, it just keeps on, keeps. You on. mentioned farming, and in the past that we have been talking from, with different people, is the 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 direct link plant harvest, uh, terroir, ecosystems, all these very complicated and simple things at the same time like it's, I think is one of those fascinations that everybody that gets to understand a bit it gets 
bit, but there's there's like there's more. Yeah. Of course, there's more. Let's yeah. let's find it. There's, yeah. there's so many more variables in this in this context than there is really in any other distilled alcohol, for one thing, um, in terms of agriculture, in terms of method of production. I think also it's like it's a it's a scale of agriculture that we can't imagine in this country. Like th- thinking about plants that take between six and thirty five years. Like thinking yeah. about plants that you might plant for your grandchild to harvest. Like that's not something that's not a framework that we yeah. have. No. Yeah. And that is also, I mean, of course inspiring and also challenging even to really kind of wrap your head around well the, um, the, just the thought of how how you have to uh, behave with the plant and behave with the ecosystem that you're yeah. becoming with because you're you're part of it yeah. it's not that you're oh i'm just a farmer no like you're as important and and as fluid in the dynamic with the plant than anything else that is around it so it's very interesting to see like I don't know, we talk about beer, we talk about wine, we talk about uh, whiskeys, like all these things that they're like, you know, the the process is so much faster. Yeah. Like there's a crop, it grows, you harvest, Yeah. you make the wine, you make the, you make the liquid. And this thing is like, you wait. Right, the beauty comes in, like, in the waiting. Wait. If you wait yeah. after instead of with mezcal, it's more like you're waiting for the plant to develop and grow and yeah. become ready. And there's a, and there's a nurturing that's in that, that that I think doesn't we don't have room for in those faster crops and those crops where it's like sure. well, you know what was what was special about last year's corn harvest? I don't know, it was cheaper, you know, or, or it was more expensive. Like that's about right. as far as we go along yeah. the time. But. Yeah, and so then it becomes the artistry of the technique of distilling and, yeah. and what that looks like for that, yeah. And I think there's also, there's a there's a precarious quality to it as well. I mean, I'll probably use this word again in other places in this conversation, but I think there's a vulnerability to, to something that takes that long that, you know, um, I think one of my first visits to... Uh, to the Real, uh, Real Monero Palenque, sorry, I just stumbled, uh-huh. um, Graciela was giving us a little little walk around in, in the nursery, and there was um, a Ciarudo that was 15 years old uh, that had just become infected, oh. and oh, they had to they had to take it apart. I mean, yeah. they took the opportunity to take it apart and try to understand the infection more. It was it was it served a purpose, but it was also really heartbreaking to see this big, beautiful plant and to realize that you know. That, that 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 lifespan was about to I mean, needed to be cut short. Yeah, before and it also as, a, else. as yeah. as an investment of yeah. of yeah. A, of a company that it, this is what you're doing that's fifteen years and he's like, yeah. and you can't save it. Yeah, because yeah. it's oh, that's sick, heartbreaking. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, before we go any further, do you want to tell us what you brought today? Because I feel like I can't take a sip until you um, tell us. <laughs> I did. It's so awesome. Um, so this is uh, this is mezcal from uh, from Aquilino in. Uh, Candelaria Yegole. He distills for Mezcal Vago, uh, who I don't work with, <laughs> um, but he's wonderful to visit. Uh, this is some uh, quiche, so Karwinski in this case, with tepestate. Um, but he allowed the uh, the piñas to sit and rest and develop mold after being cooked, which is a practice that I see you know with some regularity, but he let these actually sit and mold to the point where they started developing hongos. They started developing mushrooms as well. So there's mushrooms and mold growing on the agave after being cooked, before being ground and fermented and distilled. This is a first for me. I usually don't describe um, how, you know, what what kind of flavors I'm getting from Mm -hmm. what I'm tasting because I always feel like I'm not well-educated enough in talking about this stuff. But like... It is incredible. Like right away, you get this 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 really interesting. It's like a minerality that's kind of like just a little tart on the end of like the back of your tongue, and it you, that you said mushrooms. I'm like, oh yeah, it's kind of dank, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
It's really, really good. The, yeah, the, like the Karawinski bites you mm-hmm. right at the beginning. Yeah. The Tepesate is like, like t- certainly takes a back seat, which I wouldn't have expected. It's such a powerful flavor so often, but I'm not sure what the breakdown is on, on, on it. I don't know. You know, you often when, when I have been having any kind of ensemble with any Karawinski type, mm-hmm. they... They, they, they win, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least the first the first couple of notes that you get is is that very strong uh, minerals, uh, almost stringent. Yeah, like. and we often talk about terroir as far as you know the the region and where this was grown. Um, so do we do we know the region? Yes, this is from Candelaria Yegole, which is okay. within uh, Zochitlan. Um, it's kind of a, if you if you come up into Zochitlan and go all up through the through the kind of winding mountain road, you'll pass by first uh, Don Chucho who works with Casa Cortez, and then you'll pass by Rey Campero, and then as you keep going up the mountainside, you'll hit uh, you'll hit Aquilino's place up. At, he's kind of like at the peak where it's all really like, rocks cool. and, and and dusty and well. What's dry so interesting? It's like you know you're dealing with like right the spontaneous fermentation from the natural yeasts that are in the air. You're dealing with the elevation and the fungus. But now you're also dealing with the fungus. It's yeah. like another component to oh. talk about. Isn't it a little bit like the cousin of the yeast? I have no evidence of this, but uh, my theory, one of my theories is, because I've seen, like I said, I've seen this a few other times. Like I know that uh, you see this a little bit in like, I've, se- I've seen it in uh, Santo Domingo Alvaradas and, sent, uh, and in, uh, actually in Matadlan, there's a distiller who works with Casa Cortez as well. He also has his own brand named Mezcal Denzu. Uh, his name is Leoncio. And... Uh, he especially uh, visiting him, I saw his tobala that had all been like left to sit out and, and grow all this, you know, mold Mush. on it as well. Um, my theory is that it's it's sort of similar to something like let's say in Jamaican rum when you let allowed you know, use dunder or other kinds of methods that are kind of there to pump up bacteria. You also see like in let's say in, in like Chinese baijo when you see like tons of uh, actually molding and like even even like critters, you know, like, like vermin living inside it sometimes <laughs> as, it, as it ferments. Um, my theory is that all these things, all that like, create more and more bacteria, sure. which in chain in turn creates longer chains of fatty acids, which when they hit alcohol create new flavor esters, which I think brings me maybe some of like the kind of like either the floral or fruity qualities that I tend to get from some of the mezcals that have been done in this method. But that's just a theory. I buy it. You know, I <laughs> mean, I'm sure any of you guys listening out there, please uh, feel free to chime in. Oh, we, we, <laughs> yeah. have, we have said a couple of times in the other podcast, if you hear something that you want to share more, you know more about and or prove us wrong <laughs> in oh, some I'm way. All we welcome We're it. All here all because this is all about community and sharing. Yeah. So please do. So tell me a little bit. Um, well, first of all, I know that Skrnark has a phenomenal portfolio. Thank you. And rumor has it you have something to do with that. I've been working hard. So um, <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience of helping to curate um, the brands that you guys carry? What's important about that aspect of work? I would love to. Um, so when we first started working in uh, in the world of Mezcal, we were lucky enough to start off in a really amazing place. Uh, the importer Backbar Project brought us uh, the Cortez family, Casa Cortez, um, which is an incredible, incredible group of people and an incredible group of mezcalas. We've talked about Casa Cortez, I think, on almost every podcast that we've recorded <laughs> and not, not put out yet, but people mention it with regularity. They're pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's really true. Highly honor. Yeah. They, they, everybody talks very highly about them. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's everything from Agave de Cortez to Nuestra Soledad to El Jogorio. Um So that was quite a place to start. Um, but... How, you know, going down and visiting with them and starting to kind of like uh, explore some of the rest of the community. Um, so they're, they're such an incredible example of the kind of, I think what we were describing earlier as like kind of the unicorn of a Zapotec family 
and just like Maestro, your Mescalero owned brand that is also kind of able to be a, cl- a collaborative, a cooperative almost, and kind of profit share within the, both the family and the community and kind of keep things, keep agency, keep uh, autonomy, keep kind of that, that economic power within the community that creates all of this. And um, that has kind of been the bedrock idea that we, we've kind of then, as we've gotten more passionate about uh, finding more uh, producers to work with and support and to you know, bring to share that with that's, that's been kind of the bedrock that we've kind of looked at. So we worked uh, also with like uh, the heavy metal imports, William Scanlon's portfolio. So that's all, all kind of fits within that framework as well. We're you know, able to work with Real Monero. We're able to work with Ray Campero. We're able to work with um, Chacolo soon. We're able to work with uh, Caballito Serrero. We're able to work with Flandes Sotol. Have you had a chance to visit um, a lot of these? A lot of them, yes. Not yeah. all. I haven't been to Chihuahua yet, okay. for example. Vamanos. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, do <laughs> um, and then myself, like, specifically, so those are both two, two importers, uh, kind of following on that, on, on that too. As I started to spend more time within the community in Oaxaca, I started to see other brands or meet other people who were doing things that I thought were really important to acknowledge and were really uh, r- radical in their own way as well. So those have been things like um, Tospa uh, Mezcal in the Sierra Norte, in the very north of Oaxaca. Um, or they have a really cool story. They really, they're pretty yeah. amazing, yeah. Yeah. And what they're doing for their for their community directly and kind of how they're keeping, again, agency and industry and, and community tied together. Do you want to talk briefly in, about it? I would love to. Okay. <laughs> I think people would be really, if you guys don't know, um, this is a really cool story. So uh, Edgar and Alessandro, two cousins who produced Tospa together, um, they uh, both grew up in a community called uh, San Cristobal La Chirug, uh in the Sierra Norte Mountains and then very far north of Oaxaca. So this is up like towards Veracruz. And there isn't really, there's a, there's a, t- a tradition of distillation and some mezcal, but mostly aguardiente up there. The region is super tropical. It really feels like you cross out of like, when you're driving up there for a moment, you're like, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, what's happening? And then you suddenly drop out of that and you're like in the tropics, there's sugarcane and coffee and fruit trees. I just want to mention quickly aguardiente. Um, can you just tell the audience uh, what it is in case people don't know? I sure. Yeah. You know. Um, we're, I mean, we're, in this case, referring to uh, sugarcane distillates, okay. typically unaged. Um, so essentially, like almost like rum agricole, um, but sugarcane distillates often produced in methods that are otherwise very similar to mezcal. But you're taking fresh cane and you're grinding it down, and you're fermenting and distilling that usually in a pot still. And specifically, way. fresh cane. Yeah, we're yes. not talking molasses. Yeah, we're not right? talking molasses. Mm-hmm. This is processed is plant yeah. to alcohol. Right? Yeah. yeah, I know this is an agave podcast, but we're definitely going to have you back to talk more about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's a whole yeah. different animal. It, it, really it is, is, but it's yeah. a really interesting, and another um, complex world. Yeah. And interesting when you start to move into other regions like like Michoacan and look at like Charanda as well. And right. Yeah. See some like some that's all sugarcane, some that's molasses and sugar. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. I know. I know. It's 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 really it's a whole other thing. Do you want to mention something that is absolutely worth mentioning? Uh, saying just as a, as a very important note, the the area that you're talking about Abastosva is mountain mm-hmm. is not the valley is not the desert is not the typical idea of like the plant that doesn't have any water no these are luscious big plants yeah yeah it's actually it's kind of wild to see how big like for example tobala growing in the sierra norte are like twice the size of some of the ones they're, i see they're mammoths. in the south yeah, it's ridiculous huge. because they get more rainfall well because they get everything they have they have the altitude they have the water they have the the plants that nurture Near, near to them like we were talking about like the, the idea of like the, the plant dying and those minerals going back well they have all a, a whole ecosystem next to them that is just nurturing 
mm. the soil the terroir yeah. that they're in. Yeah, That's interesting. it's pretty amazing. Okay, sorry, sorry to no, digress. Um, so, uh, so meanwhile, as much as all that's this kind of beautiful environmental scenario, uh, the Sierra Norte especially is uh, struggling through some of the worst poverty in Oaxaca, which is saying a lot. So this is this is a, a really difficult condition. Um, a lot of the indigenous community in the north are are not able to sustain staying there anymore. Um, and so a lot of people, like, a lot of communities become kind of ghost towns. A lot of people are heading north to, to El Norte and sending money home and that sort of thing. Uh, and there's generations of, of people, of young people who just are, are leaving their communities. And so you'll see like very young children, you'll see like grandparents and you won't see like anybody in the middle because everyone's had to the flee to try and- The workforce essentially is right. gone. Yeah. And so traditions and community and culture are all sort of struggling to stay alive. And so this project, this brand was created by Edgar and Alessandro after moving uh, north of themselves. They were working in restaurants in California. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Edgar was actually making sandwiches in a subway. But um, <laughs> they, were, they were both, they were living together and working in restaurants and sending money home. And the cute part of the story, uh, Edgar was watching late night TV one night and watched a Keanu Reeves movie called A Walk in the Clouds where Keanu Reeves like works on a... I remember that remember movie. Remember that movie? Oh God, I'm so embarrassed to say that. Uh, he like works on a California vineyard and like, for, like and like I don't know, falls in love with the... Yeah, with the guy's the, daughter or yeah, something, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Edgar sort of was like, you had this, you know, this kind of synaptic moment like, oh my gosh, this is what we can do. This is, you know, like not, not make wine, although there is excellent Mexican wine now, but uh, his kind of moment was like, oh, we can, we, you know, agave has this, has the same qu- kind of the same kind of quality. I can, I can do this. I can go home and, you know, my father was a, a Guardiante distiller. I can go home and learn to distill agave and bring something that is terroir driven. Oh, so it wasn't in his family or anything like that. Agave like, wasn't was, in his family. So he no. was just like, I'm going to figure out how to do this and he, bring it back. But it was in the region. It was, it was in the, in the region. region. He went and trained okay. not too far away with uh, the distiller in Santo Domingo Alvarados uh, for a few years. And while at the same time, he and his father built the Palenque that they now work with. Um, and acquired stills. They had one, I believe one still when they first started that was his father's and then they acquired three more. Okay. Um, and, and they also just started acquiring as many seeds as they could and going out and harvesting wild, wild like uh, rizomas and anuelos yep. and bulbos and planting them and creating this massive, massive nursery. That's they actually so have one amazing. of the largest nurseries I've seen and it's less than half you know, espadine. It's, it's this really diverse. They've been sourcing plants from all over the place and seeing how they grow in the region. There's, there's this kind of beautiful sense of tradition to what they're trying to do, but also because it's not specifically a tradition for them, they're also kind of thinking outside the box and experimenting in a lot of little ways. Yeah, because they're not stuck in that old groove of maybe their fifth or sixth generation, right? So they can kind of create something new yeah. using ancestral practices. Exactly, exactly. So like, for example, you know, they're still using the same traditional Orno, but El- uh, Edgar was like, well, what if we put this extra adobe lip on top of it and curl it inwards? Oh, cool. Sort of like, a, you know, most of them are more like a martini glass. This is more like a you know, cocktail coupe. Sort of like copita. Sort of like, yeah. sort of like your copita. Okay. It's, it's no, like, it's, it's, it's but so this is interesting. kind of like designer <laughs> talk right you're like how can we optimize for yes. something yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so so they, they did that the and they, and they kind of, it re- exactly it refracts the heat back down <laughs> yeah. and so they can get higher temperatures inside the oven with less wood and less smoke exposure or like thinking about like how to how to heat the stills they're mostly using biomass they're also sourcing from around the area so it's, it's like just little little tiny steps of like what if we rethink this question yeah you know um, we were we, i can remember it was it was a few months ago but we were having this conversation of like there's space for uh, making things better. Yeah, there's there's improvement to be done. Yeah. There's there, there's uh, the ancestral part of it, and and the the 
the artisanal part of it shouldn't be compromised. But and it's, there's, yeah, there's it's, so much things that little changes that can go such a long way. And yeah. it's not optimizing for industrial production. It's it's just optimizing in a way that helps everybody times. a little bit. Yeah, you know? I mean, ways that it helps people to not, the labor to not be quite as backbreaking, let's say, um, right. or things like to, to minimize deforestation, which is an unfortunate right. byproduct of a lot of mezcal production's growth in the south of Oaxaca. Absolutely. Um, and also like the, the, the waste that's produced, yeah. that's a huge issue, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that there are some really great um, solutions to that that are being implemented. How did you guys find POSPA? Um, <laughs> I was drinking at Sabina Sabe in Oaxaca City. and <laughs> How uh, all great things are started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, for anybody out there who hasn't been, but has when, when you're in Oaxaca, please definitely go there. It's, it's the greatest. It's one of my favorite places to hang in the city. Um, anyhow, I was drinking there and, uh, I think Alex Medina, who was behind the bar, uh, was like, Oh, Justin, you need to meet this guy, Alessandro. He and his cousin are making really good mezcal. And Alessandro and I drank together and hit it off. And I was sort of like, like put it in my head, like, all right, I'm going to find a way to, to work with this guy. I love what he's talking about. I love what he's saying about, um, about the, the need to kind of like bring money and resources back to his community. And I also love how passionate he is about kind of like experimenting and like playing, playing with like expectations a little bit. Um, so you, you basically discover a believer, not a, not a merchant. Yeah. Like that's he, a really good way to put it. He, he really wanted, he really trusted. He's putting all his effort and you know, money will come. Yeah. But, I mean, I think the, you know, these like, like so many, you know, kind of craft spirits or craft, you know, food, anything you want to say that way. I mean, I, I kind of bristle at the term craft spirit, but like anything that is made with love that way, you yeah. know, has the opportunity to be a political or radical act as well. It has the opportunity to be just as exploitative as anything industrial, but it has the opportunity to be something really, really uh, positive you know, from, from a lot of different perspectives of, of environmental or social justice or... Um, you were mentioning cult- just like the, the, the cultural, the fact that by coming back, and not leaving mm-hmm. and becoming and learning because they will have a, it's probably a, a, a cultural uh, shock coming back from the States from whatever years they were here and coming back to Oaxaca and becoming Oaxaca people again. Yeah. That, that must be a very interesting story. You know, one day we can ask them, but it's, it, it, I just, it just pictured in my brain like, okay, they come with all these ideas. They're not from there anymore. Hmm. They were somewhere else. They become someone else. That's a good point. And then you have to come back yeah. to your to your to your roots and assimilate, hmm. and and not just that, embrace and grow through that. So it must be very very interesting. So for a long time, Alessandro actually stayed in uh, California and kept on working in, uh, as a bartender and things like that and sending money home uh, to because they're they're all self funded. Yep. They didn't have well. They've, they've had a lot of they've had a lot of uh, investment assistance. No, no, not that they've had a lot of assistance from like. Uh, government programs have actually been able to oh, cool. take really good advantage of a lot of uh, like grants and things like that, which has been a big part of what's helped them to develop. Um, but but still, I mean, that's, it's it's also like everything they have is riding on it. Like, they're, they're, oh, not, yeah. That's not they're not doing well by any means. Uh, they're they're, they're they, hmm, I shouldn't say that they are for what they're doing, but uh, it's not a 
It's not yet a financially stable thing. It's a it's a passion project. It's and something they they're s- trying to build. They started this quite a few years ago, right? Yeah, this this, this whole process began in the early two thousands, oh, early yeah. aughts. Yeah. Um. So it, it's you guys, it's, still, it, it's it's a whole lifetime of yeah. building of building this. Yeah. Yeah. Edgar Edgar likes to point that out actually, and kind of like yeah. you know, remind remind us all that he's doing yeah. this for his kids, not for not for him and Alessandro. You know. Yeah. I mean, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about when you're when you're making the conscious decision to plant that nursery, right? Yeah. Like depending on what species it is, it'll take you know six, even how six to, to 15 to 25 minutes. Even if knows. it is just five years. And even how to plant it. Like, is it, is it, is it in, are you going to do it in like, you know, kind of sheer uh, terraces where it kind of like drains down and you get, you get a right. quicker, quicker return. You get sure. a plant that matures more sure. rapidly or are you going to do it in a way that retains more water, gives you more sugar, but takes longer and you actually like get less. A hundred percent. And they're doing that twofold because they're doing that with how they're, they're planting, what they're harvesting, when they're going to project those to, to be ready. And then yeah. also from a business perspective, you know, they're planning and structuring their company, right? And yeah. they're trying to make all the right choices. And from a, being a small business owner, that's really hard to do because yeah. you don't, you know, if you're, if you're not like, whatever have a phd in economics like you don't really know you know what's going to happen and it's a risk it's a big gamble yeah yeah i don't envy that <laughs> <laughs> but so i was going to say uh to your point uh that that alessandro would you know, continue to send money home and i remember one time i was talking with him about it and about the idea that he was you know he spent so much of his time still in california and he always wished to be back in uh in san cristobal uh, to kind of be participating a little bit more and I was like, oh man, that, you know that that sounds that sounds that sounds tough. And he was like, well, yeah, but I'm doing this. I'm staying in, in California and sending money home. Most of all, so be, like, if if the, if this does well enough, then this is my ticket back home to a place where I can be there in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. Um, is he able to be back now? He's actually mostly back there now. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's it's working. Exactly. It's all working. That's wonderful. Um, do you want to mention, I don't know, any other experiences that you've had with like, you know, finding different producers uh, in your journeys? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, that, that was a pretty moving one. Yeah, it's also just a really, like, really insanely beautiful place. And traveling around, it's a, it's a beautiful story too. But I also want to be realistic about this and like you know that there there aren't like that story is few and far between yeah. from what I've heard yeah. for sure. And we see you on the events on the mezcal events like Mexico in a Bottle mm. or any of the the Panorama mezcal events. You rep them here, like yeah. you you're usually the one you know, serving and, and explaining this whole story. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They don't, I mean, uh, the brand is not yet to the point where there's, you know, someone to employ to do that. <laughs> no, 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 but, but you're, you're... You're helping. You're a believer. Yeah. Yes. And you're yeah. helping in whatever little or big way you can. I've drank the mezcal. <laughs> we we're all we yeah. all have the, the yeah. juice man yeah, yeah, yeah i think like, you know it's it's hard not to feel that way about any of the people who i'm you know i think lucky enough to work with because again all the with that you know, with, with that kind of focus that i was mentioning at the beginning you know everybody that everybody that we work with and a lot of, awful lot of other brands out there that i really love a lot of producers out there are, you know, there's a lot of people now thankfully it's changing where that are that are owned within the community that are that are Owned within, especially the indigenous community that are that are able to kind of retain a little of that of that agency, it's not the only the only model by any means. There's a lot of really wonderful work happening from you know, with with brands that are outside of that, but we're creating more and more space for that, more and more opportunity for families and communities to to see something more directly, and that's that's really special. And it's hard not to get really passionate about that when you're when you get to be involved with it because 
it is so it is so meaningful to see the direct impact that can have on communities and lives. Yeah, and I think it's important for us to hear about it from a, you know a very like direct perspective because we can all read what people write on their websites, which is really important information. But there's kind of nothing like hearing it from somebody that knows them, you know, that's traveled there, that's been with them. But at the same time, you know, the reason because you're portfolio is so large and you have these like other much more well-established brands, you know, you're able to carry everybody along the way. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. We wouldn't be able to do what we can for Tospa or like we're about to launch La Medida, which is very, very exciting to me, but we wouldn't be able to do any of that. I mean, we wouldn't be able to help support, uh, the, even the kind of the, the, the beautiful small things like, you know, that, that, uh, that heavy metal represents as well as effectively like Real Monero or, or Mezcalosfera from Mezcaloteca. Like we wouldn't be able to give them the same kind of love that we're able to if it weren't for the kind of foundation that we started with, with Casa Cortez, who are such a, a, a revered and like, re, uh, respected and also... And robust. And, yeah, exactly. That's what it exactly. is. Like yeah. you go anywhere yeah. yeah, and they are the staple of the house. Yeah. yeah. And not just that, they're the top shelf. Yeah, most of yeah, the they, time. they span that. They span that entire range. They, and they do span the range. It's very, very wonderful. And they give us so much like like grounding. And they're also such uh, like incredible people that I you know in dealing with them this entire time they've only ever been like passionate about helping all the like being a part of that support network, which is really really wonderful to say as well. It, it almost uh, looks like they are like uh, by helping others hmm. that it makes sense by helping others grow and and become stronger and become luxurious and become uh the 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 representative of each of these tiny little ecosystems that there are every single palanque is different yeah and 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 making a name of like this is we are all united but at the same time recognize our individuality of as, as with taste with space, with personality, like it's, it's pretty amazing how all this is developing slowly. So would you say that it's important then to look at a portfolio, let's say, and say, you know, well, make the kind of like make the connections because we're often talking about like, you know, what can, how can we help ourselves and, and, um, our audience and people around like learn how to look for the expressions that, you know, they mm. can believe in, they can trust that, that, that speaks to them. Yes. With, you know, the amazing way that it's made flavor profile, whatever, but also like, you know, the aspects of feeling good about purchasing it from an, like an ethical point of view. Yeah, absolutely. That is a really good question and really well put. I think that, um, it's not true for all, but I think that, uh, for, for, <clears throat> It becomes when you start to look at the, at the at a portfolio. Oftentimes, you can see a perspective behind what they're doing. I think that there's it's it's like any sort of there is a creativity to you know there's a creative act to that curation, and um, there's a perspective that you're trying to put together. And there's that's absolutely true for us. And you can when you look at a portfolio, you can kind of see is this like are people trying to like grab what they can and make a buck, or are people trying to make an argument? Are people trying to 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 say something at the same time as you know? making a buck and also making a buck for their producers and things like that. You know, is there, is there a perspective and what do I think about that perspective? And when you start to see a perspective that is aligning with what you believe and where your values are, then I think that it gives you a lot more ability to look at the larger perspective and, and feel confidence within that framework. And motivation. Yeah. Cause if it, you're, if you're behind a business that is just making money for making money and not giving back, right. It's soulless. Like it's, yeah, there's, totally. there's no need. But it gives you room to look at like what is the like like an art like like when you're evaluating you know some work of art that you're looking at like sort of like what are some of the intentions what's the context right yeah 
and historically like you know what what you know what expressions or what brands have they backed in the past and how yeah. have they grown yeah you know yeah yeah that's a really good point too how yeah. have they yeah that's a really good point i'm um, actually to to what you were saying about uh casa cortez being like kind of like a, a, like a connective glue or, or kind of maybe the higher tide raises all the ships kind of thing yes. that they're experiencing. I think that's actually a good segue for me to go ahead and tell you what La Merida is, which is about to come to, to, to us. It's a fascinating story as well. Very, very different tack. Um, but actually also in terms of like when you, what you just said about you know, how, what does a portfolio represent and what, how is it, what has it been in the past and how has it changed? So La Merida has a very interesting kind of backstory in terms of, Evolution, I think, almost like a personal evolution. Um, so it's it's been created primarily by uh, a man named Julian Vidal Gomez Rodriguez. Uh, he was that's a long name. It's a, it's <laughs> all four. Uh, he uh, he's like one of the kind of like behind the curtain figures in a lot of mezcal's contemporary history. Um, in the seventies, he was working. He was one of the people behind uh, Monte Alban, which makes all of us kind of go cross-eyed a little. Um, me first mezcal I ever drank. Uh, I drank a lot of that. In the 80s, he was part of helping to launch Benavon. Uh, in the 90s, he was part of helping to launch Del Maguey with Ron Cooper. And he helped him source and manage uh, the, you know, the production in Oaxaca for about the first, I think, 14 years. So when you say helping to launch is... He was an integral part of, part of it, yeah. Okay. Um, Consultant. Let's say maybe. You know. I think I think his title was production Oaxacan production manager. But I have oh, to okay. confirm that. Don't yeah. don't. I have to confirm that. Mm. Um, and then, for most recently, he uh, he. I think in 2010 he parted from from Delmaguey and with a, a maestro named Don Celso formed their own company called La Medida. Um, and I feel like watching his kind of like life trajectory in that almost is like watching the kind of like. It's almost like watching a little bit of like like a someone kind of evolving into yeah. into doing something that's that's kind of for them you know like kind of taking a step from like being involved in like the kind of big commercial industrial explosion of it all the way down to like i'm going to do this thing for myself with this with this maestro and like really be so personal with it just now. right exactly so yeah. so in, involved in it with like like my, like my fingertips you know funny enough like you know just to, a quick translation la medida is the measurement yeah yeah. And that can be interpreted in that's, a million different ways. That's very poetic, ways. actually. Yeah. This, is, this is the measurement. Yeah. This is the right measurement. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and where I, where I draw the connection to Casa Cortez is that um, part of my initial relationship with La Medida was meeting Julian uh, and talking with him about his his time and uh, his, his partner, Don Celso, and learning that... So Don Celso... I was already familiar with when I met Julian because Don Celso had produced a batch of Espadine in 2009 that he was then not able to sell. Uh, there was a, an American buyer who who was forced to renege on this batch of Espadine, which pushed, uh, which is kind of a you know one of those sorts of stories that you hear about you know American brand owners and, and things like that. It makes you kind of cringe. Um, this brand owner was forced to renege, and uh, Don Celso went into bankruptcy and. <sighs> Yeah. Wound up after years, uh, Julian came to him and convinced him to sell that batch of Espadine to the Cortez family. Uh, 
From 2009. From 2009. But they, oh, wow, that's their one? Yeah, so if, wow. if, 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 did you ever hear about the, like that yeah, batch of... Yeah, no, no, no. And, exactly. And it, it became... It became a legend thing. It became the legend thing. and the bottle yeah. to have and all people, that kind people of people stuff. Are, people yeah. are still cooled out about it. Like, yeah. I know there's still a few, uh, a few bars in, in the city here. Like... Uh, so Casa Cortez bottled it. So Casa Cortez bottled Let's it. Let's explain as, it to people why of, you guys are freaking out. Okay, so Casa Cortez bought that <laughs> batch of Espadín and bottled it as part of El Holgorio because they you know, they'll do an Espadín release uh, for El Holgorio, which usually is is always something special to it, like it's been aged for at least three years in glass, or it's been it's a it's a Capone, or like there's all these kind of like extra you know kind of it's not it's not just an Espadín. So Celso finally agrees to sell this bottling to the Cortez family, who then turn around and bottle it as, as part of. Uh, El Gorio Espadín. And I think at that point it had been resting. I think they bottled it in 2015. I want to say 2015. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So so like seven years yeah. or six, six years in, in glass. And I know that we always talk on the podcast about how the aging process happens in the maturity of the plant. And, you know, the, the expressions that are produced are can really meant to be drunk right away but every once in a while you know you have these stories of these expressions that get lost or that you know get you know they're they're not bought like in this particular situation and you have these rested mezcals and there's there's a whole movement on to actually change to actually uh allow for that to be something that we list on labels and bring attention to outside of reposado and, and añejo be able to re- refer to to envidrio to be able to refer to something that's been rested in, in glass, glass. Yeah. Um, and there's also people who rest in clay mm-hmm. but this um, is this is something Fairly new. Very, very, yeah. Like yeah. because, and and I have been listening to stories like this probably the past two or three years. Yeah, they're like, oh, we found this box, and then you know, and it's one of those Sandra and Ulysses stories. They send us a a coyote from 2011, and in Sandra was like, well, I was in the warehouse and there was this box, mm-hmm. and it was basically covered with a million other boxes they were able to move all that product out. And then when they noticed, they have this box from 2011 sitting. Yeah. So, but just to and get back to things. the taste was completely different for like... They, they totally, yeah. Especially if they've been exposed to a little bit of oxygen and then allowed to rest for that long. It really... All these volatile acids blow off. Things just change and evolve. Yeah. I can't say they'll always be necessarily better. I think I feel like we're still learning about we're this. We're still yeah. learning about it. Absolutely. Yeah. But my question is, was this kind of like the golden ticket for him to be rediscovered? Good question. Um, so I, I would, that's, that's a really good question. I guess I would say yes and no. I think that Julian, Julian had, had never lost sight of him. Julian uh, wanted to, wanted to help him. And I think the, 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 this moment of being able to buy this and give, you know, put some money back in his pocket. And then it was probably part of what kickstarted Julian's cause that was in 2000, what they started, they started the brand together at least somewhere around 2010 or 11. So this would have been around the same time that he was working on convincing him to sell this this Espadine. I'm not, actually, I'm not, I guess I'm not super clear on the specifics of the timeline, but it was distilled in 2009, and Julian was working on trying to create this project with him ever since. And when that finally happened, I think it more it created like an awareness of who Don Celso was in the U.S. as consumers, and people started, as we say, people started getting really excited about it. And again, there are still some bars that are like tucking away it's bottles. It's like it's like he had. If you're talking about music, he had like a really great breakout first album. Yeah, yeah. Even totally. though that wasn't like his first. It was like his first international hit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So, 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 Julian was able to go back to him and and create the brand. I think partly in in the strength of what that 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 sale and that rep, that, that representation and that reputation had all kind of meant. Um, so now, after they started that together, they're, you know, they're they're doing his Espadine. He only does Espadine. 
So doing his espadine, um, but they're also now collaborating with uh, three other mezcaleros um, in different communities. They have, you know, they're working with somebody in Miahuatlan, they're working with somebody in Which San Which is Balthazar, often Guayabilla. a practice that, that happens. Yeah. yeah. And they're totally handpicked. Yeah, they, yeah. So they're all. The they're thing. all. We're they're talking all, about somebody that has been in the in the business for, yeah, you know, a few decades. They're all kind of icons from their community. Just just as in El Hogorio, you know, all those are, are mezcaleros like Tia Pedro, like Don Chucho in Zoquitlan, um, that are like, like Don Goyo in in San Baltazar Guayavilla. These are all people who are local icons within their communities as well. So this is kind of a again a, another opportunity to kind of collaborate. And I think it's interesting to see the the moment of the Cortez family kind of helping to bring Don Celso to a place where he could do this and now they're able to collaborate together on making this larger project and, and also giving them not just the name but the recognition of the the value as uh, not just makers i i want they're almost like alchemists it's, it's, mm. a, it's a very interesting like romanticized you say icons mm-hmm. for a couple of seconds like yes you know these are the these are the guys that they they didn't left they stay there. They're in the community. They're mm-hmm. still working. It's, it's like from all the other stories that we hear, like the younger generations living because they didn't see a future. They were the future already there. It's, it's, it's a pretty awesome thing that they stay and they're able to teach because that's the other thing. Like they, it has to happen. Yeah. The transition of, of, of knowledge. Yeah, that's a really uh, good it point. Is, it is right now happening as we speak. Yeah. Or not. Or not. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, 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 there's a dichotomy happening, and I think we were talking about this a little bit before we started um, the podcast together. It was, you know, there, there, are, there are two worlds kind of coexisting at the same time. We choose to talk about this one, you yeah. know, um, not the, the mass industrial complex mm-hmm. that is existing um, and growing. Right. Um, but but, you know, I think it's it, it, it's all out there and like, you know, it, like we choose to talk about this because this is what we're interested in, right? And this is what we want to push forward. And so learning about the experiences that you have and learning more in-depth information about these brands, these new brands that are coming onto market, there's a new Mezcal brand I feel like every week. Yeah. And so to learn about this one, I'm going to look out for it, you know? So thank you. That was really, really cool. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Because, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's just a really, it's a really important component. And, and it's, you know, it's an individual choice. Right. We, and that's our power. Like we have luckily this ability to have all of this choice now yeah. and the market is booming. But what's right? the, what's the, what's the, the corny you know, slogan? Like with, with great power comes great responsibility. Like this, this is also what we, I guess when I think about you know, what, what that perspective that we're trying to bring to building our portfolio is and what perspective I try to have uh, also just as a consumer myself is one of, of accepting my responsibility. It's like, I, I know I want to enjoy these things. I know that I love these things, but I also have a responsibility to, to pay, to pay a fair price for it. And you know, very, you know, very, I don't even always have the opportunity to do that because sometimes there's only mezcal that has, that is being like devalued somehow. Yeah. I, I have a responsibility to try and educate myself about who's producing it and how and, and where, what, and where you purchase it. Yeah. Cause there's different bars in, in different places and, Somebody might say, oh, no, I'm just going to buy this range. And they're like, yeah, it's not about the range. It's about what are you backing up by yeah. buying this one bottle. It's not skirting. It's behind them. There's a yeah. whole other machine that is happening. There's a whole other country that is happening. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and that is the funny thing. It's like, you know, you, you get into a bar and it's like, oh, this seems pricey. Yes, it should be. Yeah, like there's there's no question it should be pricey, and and the the markup is not that big 
I know it. Like I know that the mark on, the mark up on the bars for mezcal is not like rum. It's it, not it, like whiskey. It can't be oftentimes, can be. Yeah. right? Because and the product have, itself is expensive. And therefore, when you're paying twenty five dollars, thirty dollars for an ounce and a half, you should be happy because this is this is most likely the first and last time that you're gonna drink that. And that batch is gone. Right, because every batch and every expression that, was, that comes out of it different. is exclusively different. Yeah, totally. yeah. 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 And, and, and the amount of like labor that went into it, but also I think the, the amount of challenge that went into getting it from, let's say from Tio Pedro's Palenque in Miahuatlan that you can't even get to by car. Yeah. And somehow getting it from there all the way to my hands in New York City and then me getting it to the bartender's hands right. and then Absolutely. them pouring it for you. And right. it's like... And I still only had to pay how much? Like right. that's that's insane. And that's actually. that's really important <laughs> yeah. to talk about because our perspective is always like, well, how do we know that 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 you know um, justice is being done on the side of of the producer? How do we know that they're getting paid? You know, and and I think a you figure out you know what brands um, are vetted right by having conversations like this, doing your research, looking it up online. There's tons people love to write about this stuff. They geek out over it. You know, there's tons of information out there. And once you find those, it's sort of like, you know, like, um, I don't know, like at the golden road, it kind of just leads you from one to the other to the other. And you can kind of like get in your mind, Oh, well, this is how it goes. Okay. You know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and feel good about it. You know, um, we always say it's a privilege, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and it's not something that like, I don't know, we're not, the richest people in the world. So it's not like we can partake in this every night. And that's why it's so fun to do it with friends where you can just like be like, dude, we're doing this tonight. This is so great, you know, and like talk about where it comes from and all of like the geeky stuff that comes along with it. Um, it's all part of it for us on, on our end. You know, I if think, we all, if we all can't be in Oaxaca or Durango or, you know, well, Chihuahua if, every day, if Justin then... can be, and you can come back and <laughs> yeah. say, say things. No, 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 no it's, totally. it's, it's dead yeah. on. There's a line from Black Star that reminds, actually, reminds me of a couple of songs. There's a line from Black Star from the song Respiration where he's like, uh, ask my guy how he thought traveling the world sound, found it hard to imagine he hadn't been passed downtown. Um, it's it's wonderful when we can have an experience like like this in a little copita that gives us a sense of transportation yeah. to the point where we actually are inspired to step beyond our 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 zone. But just to think, where who make this? Yeah, yeah. Because if I enjoy this much, like there must be more joy somewhere else. Over yeah, there, yeah, you know? totally. <laughs> the eternal optimist. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, yeah. Justin, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I hope um, we'll have you on again real oh, soon. Oh, I look forward to we it, yeah. We have tons left to talk about, So much I know. to talk about. Yeah. Great, guys. Well, salutita. Salutita. Hey, Hey, Agave is a production of Tuyo NYC. Brittany Prater is our editor. Your hosts are Gabrielle Velasquez Zazueta and me, Sabrina Lassard. Our music is by Milagro Verde. Find them on Instagram at Milagro underscore Verde BK. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Salucita.